Good morning and welcome. I'm glad that you could join me today amidst the busyness of our Christmas season. Before we get too far in, I just want to take a couple minutes to pray. So bow your heads with me, please. God, we invite you into our space today. We know that it's been crazy and busy with our own family traditions, with our own presence and our own gatherings. God, we just pray that you will just bless us this morning, that you will meet us where we're at amidst the chaos and craziness of the holiday season, that in this time together, we'll just be able to draw closer to you, that you will speak through me, God, and that uh, today will just be a time of, of just rest. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So I've been given some thought to this idea of waiting. And as I thought about it, I realized we actually wait a lot in our life. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but I definitely did this last couple of weeks. I realized that we spend probably a majority of our life waiting for something. Whether we're waiting for supper to be cooked, for the delivery guy to show up, or the UPS driver, for our friends to call. Whether we're waiting for grandma to visit or a letter in the mail. There are times when we spend small amounts of time waiting, but we're still waiting. And then there are the bigger things in life that we wait for. Getting our license, graduating, our children moving out of the house, waiting to meet that special someone, waiting to get married, waiting for the arrival of our baby. As I thought about waiting, I also reflected on my own life and how well I wait, or rather, how well I don't wait. I have to be probably the worst waiter ever. I have very little patience, especially when it comes to things that are very far off. When I envision something that could happen, I want results immediately. For example, going to the gym. I cannot wait to do get the perfect body. If it doesn't happen immediately, it's done. But you know, even more recently, I was trying to sell our house what would be the middle of it, I ended up finding myself just in this utter shade of hopelessness, feeling like maybe we had heard God wrong. Maybe what we envisioned happening wasn't really going to happen. Did God really even care? I had a strong urge to just pack things up and move back, to end the waiting, to just pretend it didn't exist. Of course, we know that God was still there. Looking back and looking around our lives, we saw God working. It wasn't like he had abandoned us. But in the wait, I became hopeless. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever anticipated something happening only for it to take a really long time? You know, when we wait, a couple things happen. When we first start waiting, we're so excited. We tell everybody about it. We prepare immensely, reading all the books or doing all of the, the things that we think we need to do to prepare for this thing we're waiting for. We tell everybody about it. But then the wait continues. And we start to experience that hopelessness. Perhaps we start to envision and imagine what the end result is going to be. And we create this kind of fantasy version of reality. We omit parts of our waiting and the things that we're learning or even what we know. And we create kind of this amazing thing that helps us to keep waiting. But in the process, also distorts our view. That's where the Israelites were when Jesus was born. They had been waiting a really 
long time for Jesus, for their Messiah. Long ago were the prophets who had told them that God was going to send this Messiah who was going to save them. And they knew it. Many had learned it backwards and forwards and could recite it at any time. They remembered these prophecies because they taught them to their children. They fasted and they prayed that God would send their Messiah. So you'd think that when Jesus came, they would have been ready. But they'd also created this image of what the Messiah would look like. They had created him to be this kind of white horse, knight in shining armor, who was going to ride through the streets, slaying anybody who opposed the Israelites. So you can imagine their shock when Jesus was born. Eight days after Jesus was born, he was taken to the temple for a dedication. And that's where we meet Anna. Anna was the ideal Jewish woman. Widow. She was over the age of 60. She had only been married once. And she devoted her life, day and night, to praying and fasting at the temple. She was who they were talking about when they were talking about the widows. We don't actually know how old Anna is. She's somewhere between 84 and like 104. And she'd only been married seven years of her life. But Anna was at the temple praying and fasting. Now, fasting is when we give up something to petition God for an answer to a prayer. In our world, it's often a petition for healing or to, for an answer to prayer or for guidance and where we should go in life. In Anna's day and age, it would have been for the Messiah. She devoted her life to that. So you can just imagine her joy when she sees and meets Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. Now, there's someone else in the story who we have to mention because what he said is recorded and what Anna said isn't. You see, Simeon had also been praying and waiting for a Messiah. And God had actually told Simeon that he would get to meet the Messiah in his life. And so the Holy Spirit, on the day that Mary and Joseph were at the temple, actually brought Simeon and Simeon prophesied over Jesus. And what he says is recorded in scripture. But what Anna says isn't. All we know is that when Anna came across Mary and Joseph, whether Simeon was there or not, it's a little murky, but she started to praise God and tell everybody who was awaiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I can picture it in my mind. Like there she is. She's praising God and she's telling people, look, the Messiah is here. He has come. Our prayers have been answered. I also know that because Anna was considered a prophetess, that she had prophesied over Jesus and what he was going to do. And what she prophesied would have been very similar to what Simeon had said. And to kind of sum up what Simeon had said, the idea was that Jesus was the Savior. And that Israel was going to actually reject Jesus and his gospel, but he was also going to be a light to the Gentiles. Which means that this whole idea of knight in shining armor slaying anyone who was oppressive to the Jewish nation, well, that kind of goes out the window. And so I also picture in this image of Anna praising, it's kind of like watching a very crazy lady. She's praying and she's praising and she's saying, there's the Messiah. There he is. He's here. Praise God. He is the one. He's come to save us. He's come to be a light to the Gentiles. And I picture the rabbis and the priests. I picture them kind of looking at her and she's getting the dirty looks. She's getting the shh, shh, stop it. 
I even picture them escorting her out because what she's saying to them isn't true, at least in their books. When they looked at Jesus, they're like, this is not who we were expecting. Here's some baby born to a somewhat poor family. And I'm guessing that they would have even had an idea that this was the Mary who had gotten pregnant before marriage. I mean, I don't, I think news traveled like that fast. And so they're like, woman, you're wrong. And so they're trying to shush her because she's disrupting the nature of the temple that day. And they're trying to get her out of the way and and to send her back. But Anna knew, Anna knew it was Jesus. And she responded. And you know, I have to wonder sometimes, like why Anna? What did God see in Anna that he didn't see in anyone else in the temple that day besides Simeon? I mean, Anna really, on paper, doesn't look that impressive. She's a widow, and she's been a widow for a long time, which means that she probably didn't have a lot of money, not a lot of social standing. She was at the temple day and night, which means she may or may not have lived there. Anna also was a woman, and a woman in that day and age was, well, she wasn't very important. She couldn't even learn all the parts of the Torah because they didn't think women could handle them or go to certain parts of the temple. Anna was just ordinary. Yes, she was the ideal Jewish widow, but she was still just ordinary. Why did God choose to reveal himself to her? I really believe that that had to do with that time that she prayed, that she spent praying and fasting. That in that time, we know that Israel and the Jewish people were very steeped in tradition and rituals. That God required them in their time of waiting for a Messiah to pray and to fast and petition to him and to celebrate certain things. But I imagine that in that time that she spent praying and fasting, that it became less about the ritual and more about the connection to God. That when God looked at her, he knew that when he revealed himself to her, she wouldn't doubt. That she knew him well enough to recognize his son. And when she saw Jesus that day, her soul knew. Her soul knew that that baby was the Messiah. And while it may have taken her head a couple seconds to get caught up, there was no doubt. And so when she saw Jesus, she gave God what was due, praise. And she didn't just keep it to herself. She shared it with everybody. You know, it would take them like, the Israelites, 34 years to see all of the prophecies fulfilled. But we know all of that. We don't have to wait anymore. We know Jesus' parentage. We know what his ministry and his life was like. So we no longer have to wait for our Messiah. We're no longer waiting for our Savior because we know that he came. But we're not done waiting. See, Jesus' ministry, he also talked about another promise. He prophesied about his coming again. That there would be another coming, a time when he came in all of his glory and splendor, and he was coming to judge. See, that's what we're waiting for. Yes, during the Advent season, we remember his birth. We remember the waiting and the anticipation of what his birth means, but it's also a reminder that we're awaiting the second coming. So what does our waiting look like? How do we wait? Anna and all of the other Jewish people would have been required to follow traditions and rituals. But we don't have those. 
when Jesus came, he did a 180 on the traditional way of Jewish life. No longer were we having to listen to a hierarchical system to connect to God. We are able to open our Bibles and read them. We no longer have to fear an unconfessed sin and dying because of it. Jesus already paid that price. Rituals and traditions are no more. So what are we waiting for? As we look and study the New Testament, we see that our waiting and what we're called to do in our waiting boils down to one word. Relationship. Jesus tells us that we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. Titus sums up our calling like this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Love the Lord. Get to know the Lord. Live godly. Let go of our unrighteousness. And live in sensibly in righteousness, in godliness, in the present age. That live is our action word. It's what we're supposed to do. Living in the world, not of the world. Being the salt and the light, shining for all who are in darkness. We're called to go and make disciples. No more is it only about people who believe what we believe. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a tough one. Because to love our neighbor would mean that we actually have to invest in them. We just have to allow them to be a part of our lives. It means that those people that drive me nuts, the people that some days when I look out at society, I think, oh my word, it's hopeless. It's lost. There is no hope for humanity. And I just want to shut the doors. I want to just cut everybody out. I want to protect my children and myself from the scariness and the craziness that's out there. Sometimes I want Jesus to come just so I don't have to live in it anymore. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to invest, to create relationship. And that's scary and that's hard. We're called to care about others, whether we like them or not. We're called to share what God is doing in our lives. And that, that alone is really tough. Because, you know, to share life with someone, sometimes we get this idea that we have to be perfect. Maybe right now you're thinking, share life with someone. I hardly believe in God. Maybe you've got an ugly prognosis or some unanswered prayer that has you questioning the validity of God and who he is. And you've got questions for God. But the truth is, is that's okay. Because in community, we have a safety to ask. You know, the thing about God is that he already knows we're not perfect. He already knows that we don't have it together. And he's okay with that. He loves us anyway. And he continues to bless us beyond the present that he already gave us of Jesus. So why... Why do we struggle so much with trying to create the perfect image? 
that sometimes we get so focused on being the perfect image that it's hard to let people in. It's hard to let past our front door or into our lives or around our dining room table because we're afraid that they may see that we don't have it all together. But that's okay. Because regardless of what is going on, regardless of our questions and, and our doubts, we're still called to run. And sometimes running the race means encouraging the runner beside us to keep going when their legs feel like giving out, when they're just, they're losing hope. Sometimes it means helping someone through that leg, that stretch of the race, because they can't do it anymore. But we can't do that if we're not loving our neighbor. And it's hard. We live in a world that tells us that busyness and being self-made is what's important. That it should be all about us and what I can give or what I can get. But that's not what Jesus taught. That's not what he calls us to in our waiting. Amidst the struggles, amidst the craziness of life, he calls us to relationship with others. But if we're being really honest, this is really difficult. Unless we live out that first part of the commandment. You see, Jesus didn't say, love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's a reason he put that first. When we are loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and our strength, when we are in relationship with God, then we naturally become more like him. And as we naturally become more like him, it naturally becomes easier to open ourselves and become vulnerable to those around us. But how do we develop in relationship with God so that we can have a relationship with others? While the Jewish traditions were steeped in rituals and specific things that they had to do, some of those things are still very much applicable to relationship with God. Praying, praising, worshiping, fasting, coming before God and just letting yourself be open. As a control freak, I know how hard that is. And honestly, waiting is difficult. And there are days where in our waiting, we live out our call really well. And there are days that we don't. We don't do well. But that's okay, because God already knows. He knows our struggles. He knows how difficult it is. And as long as we're making one small step forward, as long as we're coming before him and we're investing in one person or two people or three, then we're waiting. We're waiting well. So this year, as you go to make your New Year's resolution or set a goal or whatever it is you do in January, or maybe you wait till like March, either way, whenever you're setting a life goal, I want you to add one or maybe two. I don't know where you're at, but maybe you need to spend more time with God. See, loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength is part of adoption. We've been adopted into God's family, which means that we are representations of God. 
And if we are not aligned with him, if our conscience is not aligned with his and the Holy Spirit, then we can't do it well. So maybe this year you just need to put on there that you're going to spend more time with God and, and make it tangible. Have you done one day? Maybe you need to do two or three. Maybe you need to spend more time in prayer. Or maybe you need to open your heart up. Maybe there are walls that are preventing you from being able to wait well in terms of our relationship with God. Or maybe you're like, I do that really well. But this idea, this idea of loving others, this idea of letting others into my life, that's difficult. I hear you. But we need to be open. And so maybe your resolution or your goal or whatever it is you're setting is about sharing your story or just even bringing God into the conversation with where he's at in your life. Allowing yourself to talk about God and share that with one person each month, each week, each day. To have one conversation where you bring God into it. Not necessarily to convert, but to just praise him or acknowledge him. So that when all is said and done, just like Anna in her waiting was diligent and faithful and she got to meet the Messiah and she was ready, so too will we. He warns us, says, I'm coming back. We don't know the day. We don't know the time, but he warns us, keep your light on, be alert. Don't be like the maidens who are waiting the bridegroom and who are unprepared, who leave to suddenly be like, oh, I don't have enough stuff. And they leave and they come back and they've missed him. We need to be diligent in our waiting. We need to be faithful in our waiting so that when the Messiah, when the Savior, when Jesus comes back, we're ready and we're able to praise and worship him for all that he's worth. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for our time together. And we pray that as we, we look at our lives and our relationships with you and the relationships with others, that in our time of waiting, we can do that well. That amongst the Christmas busyness and chaos, that we will find time to just sit at your feet and to hear your heart and to remember that Christmas is about your son and that amazing gift you gave us. Thank you for the birth of Jesus. Thank you for a love so deep that you sent your son. Pray these things in your name. Amen.